Greetings to each of you from wherever you are. I'm Takia Robinson, and I'm excited to return with another episode of The Excellence Experiment, a podcast about institutional transformation that's done by the Inclusive Excellence Commission of AACNU in partnership with HHMI. I'm excited as I have the leadership team from the Inclusive Excellence work that's being done at the University of Houston downtown. They've been doing some really exciting things, and I'm excited to have them here with us today to share their journey. So I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves. Just briefly tell us what your role is on campus, and then we'll do like an overview of the Inclusive Excellence Project there. So Akif, can we start with you? Sure. Hi, I'm Akif Usman. I am a professor of biology and biochemistry. I am serving currently as the interim provost and senior vice president for academic and student affairs. I am the principal investigator of this grant award. However, I do have a co-director uh, and that's Jerry Johnson and Dr. Lisa Morano. And I'm going to uh, pass the baton to Jerry and then he can pass the baton to somebody else. Hi, I'm Jerry Johnson. I'm a professor of biology and biochemistry. And I'm also the Associate Vice President for Faculty Research and Sponsored Programs in the Office of the Provost. Hi, I'm Lisa Morano. I'm a Professor of Biology and Microbiology, and I'm also the Director for the Center for Urban Ag and Sustainability. Connie? Yes, my name is Connie Kang. So I am an Assistant Professor at the Natural Science Department. So I'm the newest member on the leadership team. Awesome. Thank you, Connie. And last but not least, Adriana. Thank you. Um, I'm Adriana Visbal, and I'm an assistant professor um, of biology here at the Department of Natural Sciences at UHD. And I have been a member of the leadership team um, from the beginning of the grant. So can we start our conversation by just giving an overview of the inclusive excellence work that's been going on there at UHD? So... How about I give a sort of um, thousand foot view uh, and then talk about some main areas and then uh, somebody can join in and fill the uh, and fill that out a little bit. And so our program has uh, three uh, main features. One of them is to engage students in a way that uh, helps develop their sense of belongingness to the university. What we've been doing is both face-to-face and virtual family nights for incoming new students. We started with the um, natural sciences department since that's where the grant was originally focused. But this year, actually, we're looking to extend it into the college more because COVID has allowed us to uh, expand our reach in the college. Another thing that we've been um, focused on is uh, faculty development in which there are two major components. One is getting faculty educated and trained in thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion through the anti-racism lens, looking at the structures of uh, institutional racism, structural racism in our society, as well as how it's reflected in the university and how we as professors are enmeshed in it in ways that are unconscious um, as well as sometimes semi-conscious. And so that's been an educational piece. We worked with a couple of organizations. One of them has been transitioning, using those ideas and that knowledge to how do we actually think about addressing students and our curriculum as we get into workshops that deal with uh, nature of um, anti-bias training, anti-bias thinking in the classroom. How does the curriculum reflect racism and how can the curriculum reflect anti-racism? 
And then the other piece, um, the third major piece is um, the fact that we're trying to find ways to fund faculty, give them resources to engage in projects for their courses. Uh, and then we've been working with the department chair, um, the past two department chairs, but most uh, effectively the current one, and thinking about what are the structural features of the department can be addressed as we move into this space. And she's been working with us uh, quite intimately. She's actually kind of an ad hoc member of the leadership team. Um, and so that's kind of the main structures of the grant. Those are the things that we're really focusing our attention on. And then right now what we are talking about is looking at our theory of change and how do we start looking at what is it, where are we going to be at the end of year five or maybe an unfunded extension for a year and where do we want to move the project uh, inside the university and what resources do we need. Anybody want to embellish on any one of those uh, or talk about your experiences in any one of those? Well, before I mean, I, before we before we talk about experience, I just wanted to add a couple of specifics. So, uh, so for the faculty support, we've been doing these synergy professorship awards. So, faculty that have great ideas, we give them they they apply and they can get a, a stipend and also some supply money if they want to try something innovative in their class. We've also been collaborating with the Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence on campus, and they've been they've taken up the baton of uh, diversity and excellence uh, in some initiatives that they're offering this year. So that's been nice. We started a book club uh, about a year and a half ago where we read three books a semester to kind of push ourselves on the diversity uh, and inclusion spectrum. Different types of books, so history, poetry. Uh, fiction, nonfiction, and then what we do is we have someone outside of natural science lead us through the discussion. So a historian at our school or somebody from critical race uh, studies. That's been super fun um, for for the uh, folks that are able to make that. And then we've also started a diversity and STEM presentation where we invite over Zoom a scholar from the United States somewhere, right, to come and mm -hmm. speak to our students and. We've settled on a format that the students really love. It's 20 minutes of their story, 20 minutes of their science, and then 30 minutes where they can just ask any question they want. So it's very different from a traditional academic presentation. Uh, the last one we did about a week ago had over 80 students attend. So uh, that's that's been really um, impactful. So I just wanted to give a couple of like more granular examples of some of the categories that Akif gave. Yeah, that's great. And one of the things about the diversity in STEM is we've really tried to focus on young scholars, people who are in that early phase of their career because it's easier for them to talk to the students about what is the nature of being in going through the scientific enterprise as a from your undergraduate through your early uh, days in, as a science professor or a scientist in whatever area that you're operating in. Another um, initiative that we did that I think was really successful uh, that we had to move virtual because of COVID, but we hope to have in person again, um, was the department family night. So we invited um, students and their support system, whoever that may be, um, including children, and we provided childcare to make it easy for family members to come. We provided food. We invited alumni. So we had faculty give very small presentations, but we had alumni from the school come back 
and talk about their experience, how they felt when they were here, what were the opportunities that helped them where they are now. Um, we provided translation services, Spanish to English. Um, so that was really nice. We had I had parents approach me and said that for the first time in their child's academic career, they were able to actually talk about things and they understood the interest wow. uh, that their children have. So that is something that um, we think has been really powerful. Um, COVID sort of set us back a little bit, but we're trying to bring that back in person again and, and trying to keep, uh, sort of thread the needle and keep that follow-up experience, right? A, a lot of what we have, especially with our first-generation college students, is sort of that lack of what is college and what are these other unknown rules about college that are not in the syllabus. Um, so this sort of you belong here and let us talk about how others that made it navigated through the structure has uh, been really powerful. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever visited our webpage, uh, Takia, uh, but if you have, there's a great video of the first family night that gives you a nice snapshot of even what we tried to replicate outside of the food um, uh, virtually. And I think the virtual piece actually went really well to the point that going forward, there are ways to do both uh, because mm -hmm. the virtual piece is not very expensive outside of translation um and a, a small stipend for the uh, alum who who come to join us and they get very excited I, I i've been really i've gotten wonderful emails from this alum who come as well as a few of the students i love to hear that i think what what draws me to or what excites me about the hearing um about the work that you're doing is that it is it is seems to be sort of tailor fit to what's going on there at UHD, to what your students' needs are. And you guys have been really intentional about learning those needs. Can you take me through that process, like from the beginning, when you started with your plan um, to where you are now, what have you learned? What has changed? How have, have you grown personally? And how has the project sort of evolved into what it is today? So I think the most influential piece to that was uh, an early realization that we were going to ground this work in the anti-racist framework. Um, and that the academy does not prepare most academicians to interrogate their role in systems of oppression. Um, it's, you know, we are not trained as scientists to think in that way. And immersing ourselves in literature and workshops around anti-bias, anti-racism has allowed us to do some of that deep introspection uh, to really analyze how we have either knowingly or unwittingly contributed to that. And then that has put us in a position as a group to then start to analyze how has our traditional framework of, of uh, delivering science education impact our students. Uh, it's, it's helped us center the student perspective and the student complex identity even more, I think, in our minds is to, and, and makes us much more intentional about asking questions with the student at the center of it more than uh, a traditional faculty-centric approach. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest transformational pieces that has guided our, our evolution of the project. We've also had um, 
the advantage of an external evaluator as part of our grant. And so having somebody outside of the work help us understand what the student experience has been, uh, as well as the faculty experience has allowed us to do some formative assessment as we're moving through this and to modify our strategies as we move forward. I just want to uh, tag along what Jerry said about lack of uh, perspective and expertise from the STEM faculty. And I think one of the things that we really expanded, uh, I mean, Keith can speak more of this, is to realize that some of the work needs to be done in collaboration with the people outside the STEM fields. And then they discover that there are really already structures and expertise in there and uh, we can really reach out to. And I think that Lisa also can elaborate on that, that we have really extended to the people outside the department uh, with workshops. We have a mixture of non-STEM and STEM faculties and that really, I think, brought our project to another dimension and the next level. Yeah, I think that piece that you bring up is really important, Connie, because sort of as we work through the faculty development process, right, there are people across the spectrum of, oh, I have heard about inclusive excellence, and I think it's important, but I don't know how it relates to my particular biology class that I'm teaching, to people that are like, oh, that's for the social sciences, that's not for us STEM folk. Um, so having the experts whose scholarship is this work come in and, and talk to scientists from a data-driven standpoint of these are the numbers has really sort of tilted that needle a little bit to, to, to raise awareness to say, oh, maybe it's not all about some of the deficit model thinking that we have about the particular student population at UHD, but maybe there's something structural in the way my course is organized and the way our curriculum is organized. And this is what the data is saying. So now I'm, I'm more open and, and willing to listen. So that has been sort of a, it, the needle moves and it moves back and it moves forward. Yeah. But I think there has been um, a positive um, movement. And I think that is because we are not approaching this from just, oh, this is important and we are doing this because we have a grant, but we are collaborating with other scholars whose scholarship is this work and presenting it to our natural science faculty from a data-driven perspective. And, and I think that has really helped to bring people in to the work. And I, I mean, if I may add to it, I think in terms of the dynamics that also made a difference. If it's within a department, I think a lot of times at the beginning, faculty could see this as some kind of internal audit evaluation process. Um, and also sometimes if no one knows how it works, it's like blind leading blind kind of approach. A lot of times, you know, you can turn into a situation where we just hear our own echoes and we see the problem, but we don't know the roots of the problem. Just having, you know, someone else who uh, studies this as scholarship and another perspective somehow provides a little a protection for the people inside the department, right? They can just be listening and trying to really catch up with this work at their own pace without having to feel pressure, right? This is what I have to do. I'm, a, I'm supposed to be uh, evaluated on how I'm, I'm doing with my course. So I think from the faculty development uh, perspective, you really give people the yes. space 
to explore things and engage with the people they already know or they get to know, because that in kind of interaction really didn't happen until this mm. project, right? We rarely talk to the people outside our department. Now we have someone to go to, we know their work, and it really provides that uh, safe net and network that we can use within our institution. And the scholars outside of science also have introduced us to more of the scholarship that that shows that science is not exempt. Mm. And we, we, we touched on that before, but um, I think the, the opinion in the science department is, well, we're just science. We are exempt from having these issues, right? So um, show, showing us the data and the literature, you know, Adriana touched on this, that you are not, you are not exempt, mm. that you are perpetuating some of these uh, structural systems of oppression in your own class, in your textbooks, and, and just the scientific work that's gone on for the last 150 years to be exposed to that, that we don't teach, right? It's, it's It was a rather eye-opening, I think, for a lot of science faculty. I love that your project prioritizes student learning and faculty learning and gives those priorities the same level of energy and focus. Um, as I think a lot of times it's easy, you know, conventional reform strategies have all been fixed to students. Let's give students more tutoring, more money, more support. Um, and while these things are useful and valuable, um, if we really want to get to the place of moving the needle in sustainable ways, we need to look at it from the institutional and the structural ways as well. And so I think the work that you're doing creating these containers where it's safe for faculty, to Connie's point, where it's safe for faculty to acknowledge that, you know, they have some learning to do, you know, without fear of being reprimanded or that being held against them, I think is really powerful. Akif, what were you going to say? So you actually listening to you reminded me of something else, and I'll come to both of them uh, for a couple of moments here. One is that in the 24 years I've been at UHD, you know, I have in different ways tried to remind people that I can have a conversation with influence. I was department chair for eight years as well as then uh, followed uh, by being a dean for a decade uh, in which we have, you know, the university is um, an offshoot of the monastic tradition of the Middle Ages, and it's a very cloistered, there's a set of rules in which how you become part of the body, if you will, mm -hmm. right? And the academy has fostered that, the tenure system fosters that, the entire way in which we deal with new students coming in is, it's trial by fire in some way, there's this kind of almost perverse meritocracy associated with it. And then, and so, and you know, in the, in the uh, I think the university community of educators, people who are deeply enmeshed in education for many years now have been trying to move from a uh, sage on the stage focus to what's happening with the student in the classroom. One of the things that's great about this project, it is really refocuses that attention for us um, because that sense of faculty learning uh, on the structure in which we live in as in the academy and how it's the society has built this structure, that we're a product of the structure of our society. Um, and so, and I think that has been an ongoing discussion that has been 
difficult to engage in and difficult for some faculty to hear. But on the other hand, you know, even in the worst days, I'm a little bit encouraged because somebody gets it that didn't get it before or is starting to get it that didn't get it before. And so this is, you know, there's a long game to this. A surprising benefit um, was the first Crossroads workshop we did at UHD. One of the beauties of the Howard Hughes funding flexibility is our ability to bring in particular stakeholders that were outside of the immediate group that we were targeting, and that was the Natural Science Department. And so we had staff and faculty from across the university that we reached out and said, would you be interested? So we had the director for the Center for Latino Studies. We had the director and a couple other members of uh, the Center for Critical Race Studies. We had um, staff from around the university, um, from the provost's office, from um, uh, two of the other colleges uh, participate. And this led to a very organic movement on campus that we called for a little while. COVID has really kind of put a damper on it in a variety of ways is, uh, is our DEI Alliance of people that had about 50 people who got in a room one afternoon and spent two and a half hours charting out what are the challenges for the university that different groups of us would like to do. And this came out of that work. The book club came out of that work. And then this project has been fortunate uh, in some respects because by the time the grant got funded, um, I was a dean, Jerry became a, a person in the provost's office. And so that provided a certain level of administrative leverage that the project might not have otherwise had uh, operating with that, that level of leader, academic leadership. And so that's been useful, but it's also a curse. Um, I can't go around sending emails as a dean. And certainly now as a provost, I just stay away from it. Uh, talking about here's some things going on because um, that is too top down. It is, uh, it'll feel directive. Um, and, and at that point, we're already pushing that envelope in a variety of ways in which we've been trying to attenuate that. And that's where the uh, leadership team comes into play because they are part of the faculty. They're the ones who can advocate this in our job, Jerry and I, until uh, some extent Lisa, because she's a senior uh, uh, faculty member and a recognized leader in the university is we can cover their, we can get their back so that we can provide the support uh, as the, uh, more vulnerable faculty engaging in this work have done because we have contingent faculty who've really gotten on board with this and so we need to provide them support as well and something that you know i think we learned year one where where we sort of threw everything at the faculty development and we got some resistance that we expected but it was a learning experience was really to uh to tackle it from you know faculty driven as well as top down, that it had to come from both. I think one of the uh, most successful things has been our alliance with the Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence at our university that are already had a great track record of being inclusive themselves, right? All of the funding structure and their activities are open to contingent, to tenure track faculty, to lecturers. So there was already a lot of uh, sort of cross communication at different levels. There were existing structures that then we can introduce some topics to. So for the last uh, 
two years, there has been an option for one of the teaching circles, which is sort of like a mini grant structure for faculty across the university to work on projects. Uh, inclusive pedagogy has been one of those. And we've brought that topic again and again. And this year, our teaching and learning symposium has two tracks. And one of the tracks is inclusive pedagogy. And we have an outside speaker, we have internal uh, faculty presenting their work. So it really makes it easier to approach sort of reticence faculty from, look, this is a CTLE sponsored activity and come join us rather than, you know, this is about that HHMI grant then the dean now, the provost really wants to, <laughs> to put down on you. So, so I think that has been really helpful um, Connie and I are both participating in that teaching circle, Lisa as well. Um, but I think as, as sort of the newer faculty and on the trenches uh, that we work with lecturers and adjuncts, um, Connie and my role has also bring it back to the students, right? Because all of our faculty really care. So when we can switch the conversation to something informal of, oh, I took this training and I tried a couple of things and my students responded really well, that informal conversation helps bring faculty in that might have not been motivated by a big come to the anti-racist pedagogy workshop. Um, so I think it is important to, to have a multitude of approaches to reach out. That's a really good point. And one thing is the director for the Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence participated in Crossroads with us for the first in the uh, very first workshop. And it was, you know, he you know, I've talked about it at length uh, for a while after because it was deeply impactful. And I think he's sort of taken it and brought it to the center in, in very rich ways. I think these uh, levels of connection and relationship on your campus are so critical to your work. And I, I love um, Adriana's point of, of how you all are leveraging um, existing structures also with new innovation, right? So a lot of people think the institutional transformation just means a wholesale clean slate, but it really is about learning what at the institutional level is working and what may need to be refined or changed going forward. So I think you all are telling a wonderful story of what is required and sort of learning about your institution and, and, and then how to take that learning to really craft the strategy for, for moving forward. I would love to hear more about the uncomfortable, frustrating, or challenging pieces of this work because, uh, you know, as we know, learning can be uncomfortable and uh, many of us seek comfort, but it is in that discomfort where the transformation usually lives. So can any of you speak to some moments or experiences throughout your journey that have really been challenging for you? I guess I, I have a comment about the challenge. I won't speak about specific experiences at the institutional, organizational level. But personally, I think early on in that first crossroad workshop that the leadership team attended, it sort of really hit us in the face that this is deeply emotional work. <laughs> and as scientists, we tend to separate that from what our job and, and it is really hard to get to the root of that work without without being vulnerable. Right. So in order to recognize the things that are happening with our students at our institution, there had to be a reexamination of our own experiences as students. So I had sort of an eye opening, but sort of it, it was it was difficult because I was an immigrant Latina student uh, for college. I arrived the United States straight to the university at 17 years old. And, you know, I didn't have anything to compare my experience to. 
but this this first year of, of of the faculty development and all the work that we did really opened my eyes to a lot of things and it was almost like having to go back and and relieve some you know relieve some trauma and and process that and then be able to say okay I can do some work so um, something that is a little bit frustrating about this multitude of approaches of trying to get um, people involved in the work is that we have a lot of people that for for whatever reason because we like you said we, we want to stay in the comfortable level they want practical things like just tell me a couple of things I need to do in my class but none of that is effective if you don't get to the deep down emotional work. So for me personally, a frustration is how do I communicate the necessity of going deep and making the work emotional without sounding like the touchy feeling <laughs> person that's trying to get me to do all these things that shouldn't happen in the workplace. Um, so that that's that's sort of a personal challenge of mine. How do we get faculty on board to go deep when we are pulling them in from the, here's a couple of things you can do in your classroom or here's what how you should tweak your syllabus. Um, so that that's personal for me and, and I'll leave um, others to talk about the sort of bigger challenges. I, I think what Adriana is touching upon is important because it speaks to how different every person is experiencing this project. Um, Adriana is approaching it uh, as uh, a Latina faculty member, uh, I think it's easy to ignore a lot of times the fact that um, whiteness is typically centered in almost everything that we engage with. And as a white male engaging in this work, it, it was very eye-opening to un come to an understanding of that. And it's something that I continue to struggle with is I perceive a certain level of delegitimacy in being a white male trying to engage in this work, but at the same time realizing that that is exactly the same, that is centering whiteness in itself, right? That's exactly what that is. And so there's always this continuous reflection on where is that feeling coming from? Where is that realization coming from? and trying to make sure that the conversations are coming back to a more inclusive place, make sure that we're focusing on the experience of everybody involved and trying to decenter whiteness in all of this work. I can uh, kind of uh, speak similar to what, you know, Adriana was uh, talking about from someone who uh, came in, well, I'm actually different from her because I, I was the newest member of the team. So from day one, I started as participant of that crossroad workshop they were talking about. So they were ahead of me, right? So they went to the HHMI, they got the real training, uh, and I got the training at the UHD. So I think as a personal experience, I can speak of how you felt, felt like, right, as a faculty when the team kind of worked on us. Um, so that same workshop we did at UHD was uh, very traumatic. <laughs> and, um, you know, even though I come from a country where we kind of, you know, learned about, you know, the structure a little bit, it was still very shocking to me to, uh, to hear about, you know, some of the historical context of something that we know exists, 
But as someone who came in this country who did not grow up here, right, I took it for granted. That's just how it is in America. Yes, that's true. But I didn't know the historical context of that, right? And then that workshop really brought all of that uh, out. And and I think somehow that created a lot of uh, trauma, you know, emotionally for us to reconcile ways what we believed in, what made us successful. And the reality is, you know, uh, there are so many barriers or structure things out there that make some, make sure some people are not successful. I think that was really uh, something that was very hard for faculty to digest because at that initial workshop, I had the opportunity to talk to faculty, right, without being on the team to really sort out the process. And um, and you can also tell, right, after the first few, and there are some people, you know, feel like it was too much, right. And I went full in because it was eye-opening to me. Uh, but that, that first shot, I think it was too much for some of us. <laughs> and for, for the others, we just dove in uh, without looking back. And, but then, you know, and just as time goes on, and I realized, you know, that was really what this systematic <laughs> uh, racism structure is about, right? And I think it's very hard for people to... Uh, come to that realization and uh, just work on themselves. Um, it takes time, and I'm still, you know, getting there. But I think I'm at the point where um, I, I feel like I can explain things better now. Because when I was a teacher here, there are things, you know, you want my students who in the classroom I don't understand. Why can't the students do this? Why are you not doing this? Right. Now I feel like I'm, I'm more connected to them, and I understand, right, there are some backgrounds um, uh, or culture backgrounds in them that makes them not pursue certain way, which I perceive as some successful routes. So I think that was uh, the surprises and struggles that I had to go through as a faculty, which is really what brought me to you know, to this team. I feel like as one person, I can't really make a lot of difference, right? Just in my classrooms, I want to see what else I can do to really taking, you know, other people that I care about, I know who are good teachers, away from me as well. So that's, uh, those are some of the challenges I felt as a faculty. I I would say one of my, one of my biggest challenges is that when I did this training, it was eye-opening for me, but I have uh, two LGBT kids. So for me, um, opening the lens from the oppression I know they experienced to a bigger slice was easy, right? I, I could see it once I learned it, it was very easy and I was all in. So I guess my, my frustration is when someone says they don't really need this, right? Like, I just teach X. I don't really need this. It feels like a slap in the face to all of our students who are struggling, right? And then it, it feels personal to me, right? Because it feels like a slap in the face of my kids. Like, you don't really care about the oppression that people are experiencing. So um, I feel like it's purposeful head in the sand. Um, and so that's hard for me to deal with on a personal level because I feel like those faculty are not really 
they're not really taking this seriously, the role that they have, right? How deep this role matters. So I have to separate from how I start to feel about them personally if they decide not to really engage in that. And that, that's like a struggle. I start to feel that they're disappointing me on some level because they're not, they're not all in on this. And then the other thing that I think is a challenge we're experiencing is the state that we live in, Texas, the giant university bureaucracy where, where people at our university are not necessarily willing, um, the people in our university system are not necessarily willing to make waves because they don't want to upset the governor or whatever, right? So we've got this kind of big system where people want to just play it safe. <laughs> they just want to do their job. And they, yeah, yeah, you guys can do that, but don't make any waves. Like that's that's the that's the message I get from kind of like the really big, you know, state level. So that's a little frustrating because it feels like we haven't made much progress <laughs> since the 1960s when people don't want to talk about the fact that slavery was real. Um, you know, so uh, so then uh, that gets back to, uh, I think something that was just mentioned before is it can get a little overwhelming. You feel like one person very strongly believing in something and how is it that you can possibly make change in a system that is so big that is fighting back with legislation of what can and cannot be taught, right? That, that, can, that can be really, really frustrating. Absolutely daunting. And I think the... Give, especially given the last 18 months, right? Sociopolitical context matters just about everywhere you are in the world, but specifically in the state where you are in. And I agree that situating this work within that context can feel very much like a chore. So are there things that you all are doing or trying to do to keep yourself safe and well as you do this work? Because I think that's a very important piece. So I think the allyship that we're developing around the university is critically important. I think, um, you know, uh, Connie and Lisa um, and, and um, Adriana have, have spoken to this in terms of the way we've interacted with people outside of the sciences. Um, our most recent leadership team member, uh, very recent, like this semester, has, is a math professor, and she's an African-American woman who's the assistant chair, and, and she and I have talked a lot. She participated in our first on-campus Crossroads workshop, and she and I have talked a lot since then, and then even before then, she and I had some work we were doing on a search committee in which we had to kind of call out the incipient racism and the choices that were made by um, the search committee. And that was long before this work started. And so she and I were kind of familiar with these challenges in terms of talking to each other. And so I think that out and so bringing her in, I think is useful because it's our, she's a leverage point into the rest of the college because she actually has spectacular relationships with her colleagues across the college. Uh, she's a recognized leader. Um, so that allyship of folks in critical race studies, even even though the DEI Alliance is right now kind of silent, has gone quiescent a little bit, I do know and I think that several other people know that if something has come up, we can reach out to each other. Um, and so I think that is the way you hold it together because the pressures from the politics are strong. I'm sitting in the provost's office and 
I'm guided by where the president sits. And the president is a brand new president learning the system, learning the university, uh, and he brings a marginalized identity to the university and he is all on board, but he also recognizes that it's not safe space. Um, and so, and he and I talk about this periodically about that. And, um, and his only request to me is you do what you wanna do and just let me know before you do it. Um, and so um, I think outside of, so I think that has helped, at least it's helped me uh, because I do feel like I'm at that nexus where I want to really push the envelope, but I'm sitting in a position where not only do I have to be careful politically, although I'm less mindful of that, to be honest, as they can tell you based on some experiences we had last year uh, that got me into some trouble. But the other piece is I am an authority figure on campus and um, what I say impacts the university in a way. And so I advocate for Jedi, but on the other hand, what I can, I can suggest, I can encourage, I can't dictate. Um, and, and not that I've been in the habit of doing that as a dean or a chair, although folks in here might differ since they were under me as a chair. Um, the idea was to sort of bring people in, uh, in whatever way that I could, I could find to do it. And a lot of times it doesn't work uh, and it's frustrating uh, and, it's, and it can get discouraging. Uh, but Jerry is next door and, you know, he's watching, he's half glass empty, but on the other hand, at least I can fill, I can help, he can help me fill mine back up. Um, and then, uh, and then my other colleagues, the glass is overflowing and they're ready to dive in. Uh, but I also see my role and Jerry's role, as I said earlier, as being supportive as possible. You know, um, we have to do the pass blocking because this is difficult work and we've all been challenged in different ways. Uh, with this um, at different levels. I think it's awesome that you all have diversity on your leadership team, kind of have each other's backs in in some important ways. Because, you know, there are committees where it's like everybody is on the same level, has the same identity. But it seems like, especially for this kind of work, being able to have people with different perspectives, different vantage points and different levels of access and all of that, that seems to be critical to your to your work. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that we're very mindful that HHMI expects institutional transformation as a result of this grant. And I, I think we have strong evidence that there has already been irreversible transformation. Because I know that none of us are ever going back, right? And that alone, whether this project ends and we don't continue through some other mechanism, where we just keep going, none of us will ever look at our role as faculty and how we interact with our students in the same way. So the transformation is already occurring. I think it's just a matter of recognizing uh, and trying to understand how far reaching has that transformation become and how do we always look for the next opportunity to continue to expand that so that when this generational work is finished and all of us are walking away from our careers, will we be able to point back and say, this is the scope of impact that we have had on the institution and it's not going backwards, right? That, and that's, that's really the, it's always even on the dark days when you're struggling with the resistance to all of this work, if you can recenter yourself 
on the accomplishments already, and then relying on each other to kind of help, you know, pick us back up and move us forward. Yeah, and I think the big challenge for us going forward is in about two years, we, I feel like we have to have sufficient, I hate to use this metaphor, but I just am lacking for another one. We need to be sufficiently viral, that mm. timing I realize, <laughs> uh, um, in which as the grant itself is sunsetted, there are things that are moving that don't require lots of money or that there are pockets in which money has been committed to sort of make sure that uh, this work can continue and expand into places that it hasn't yet reached. And that's, you know, that's the hope, that's the dream, and that's the intent uh, in terms of what I see for the next couple of years. Something that I think is, is really important is that throughout the process, for those of us that are maybe are in more precarious positions, right, the ones on the tenure track versus the full professors versus the ones that administrate, that there is a allyship, right? So, so there has always been, I understand that you are more vulnerable, so how do we protect you in doing this work? Um, I would say the grant, the HHMI grant provides legitimacy to the work and protection to those of us that are engaging in sort of difficult work that might, you know, get some resistance. Uh, but I think because of the allyship that we have made with Center for Latino Studies, Center for Critical Race Studies, it has provided now an avenue that when this grant ends, there is sort of formal <laughs> allyships that have been made to allow some of the work to continue uh, with that legitimacy and protection that being part of a center or coming, you know, uh, rather than this is the rogue STEM faculty that's pushing the DEI work on the rest of the department, because that's a more vulnerable position to be in. Um, so I am thankful for that since I am sort of, you know, still on the tenure track and will be for a little while, um, that those structures are now in place so that I can continue. Because as, as Jerry said, once you start this, if you're really in it, there's no, there's no stopping, uh, but it really feels comfortable to know that there is an allyship and there's structures built around that will allow us to continue this work uh, without placing ourselves in a very vulnerable position in terms of academia, right? It also speaks to, you know, a weakness of the program right now is the fact that our leadership team's most engaged faculty are tenure track. Getting buy-in among the associate professors has been challenging and more so than it has in the full professors. There's just aren't very many of them. Um, and is, is one of the big challenges that we face. And, and so I, I see that as a weakness of the program. And, and it's something that I think about a lot. I don't, you know, I don't talk about it a lot, but I think about it a lot in terms of trying to come to some way of how do we move the needle. And I, and I personally feel like I have to be careful because some of the most significant changes I made as a department chair, I literally did on the backs of the tenure track faculty because mm. they were the most engaged. And I was able to pass block when needed, but they were the ones where the energy was. I'm now far away from that space as in the department. And so being that far away, I don't have that ability to be day-to-day -day pass blocking. Uh, and so my concern is, is that for the tenure track, faculty have been most engaged and contingent faculty have been most engaged. Um, 
where is their protection? Uh, and, and so I'm grateful that the department chair is 95,000% in, as well as uh, uh, Dr. Morano, that's, that's huge. And, and Dr. Quander, I think, will make a big difference as a math professor I was telling you about. Um, and so, um, and even one of the engineering technology professors who is chair of the department right now is, is growing in his engagement in this. And I think those are valuable pieces to have so that the tenure track faculty who are the ones sort of really leading the charge um, in many ways have somebody to, to, to hold them when they need it. Yeah, I would, you know, concur that it's really a long haul, mm -hmm. right? And it's a very slow, gradual process. If we can use a metaphor, like an infusion of the, yeah. the drugs into the veins yeah. slowly. And I really appreciate the, the faculty development piece of the grant, right? Because if you think about it, the faculty is the front where students interact with. Mm -hmm. um, and if the faculty does not, you know, uh, basically change their ways of interacting with the students or their perspectives, and this work is really going to be hard to uh, push forward. And I think at that front, maybe not so obvious, and it is happening. Now it's slower than we like to, uh, because there are a lot of small conversations uh, about some, uh, you know, some, some smaller things, right? For example, one of the things that we realized after we went to different uh, DEI trainings or workshops is that this is not really completely new. This is just good teaching, right? <laughs> inclusive teaching is just good teaching. And shouldn't every teacher want to do this? And in fact, that if you talk to people, right, they agree, oh, yeah, this, this would be good to do this without necessarily calling this DEI. So I think at that level, right, when where the people can accept this as the change is happening, I you know just from all the conversation we're having, the new people coming into you know some discussion, and another thing I want to say is that as we change the way faculty think of themselves, reflect, and we're changing the the daily practices, mm -hmm. right, the activities we already do in our classrooms, or so all the initiatives that we are in. And, you know, as long as we're waiting to make it more inclusive, accessible to our students, right, so the work is being done there without necessarily, you know, giving a label, you're the, you know, inclusive excellence professor there. So I'm being, I, I acknowledge all the, uh, uh, all the resistance and struggle we've been through, but I want to just put in a little bit um, thing out there. I think at the micro level, things are happening but you'll take a long time. For sure. I love that. I, I think the attentiveness that you all have of these areas of growth um, and, you know, what's working and what, what could use some more effort and energy. And also, uh, to Connie's point, acknowledging how much of an investment this is and how long a process it's going to take um, really does uh, demonstrate, you know, the IEC... The IEC's position is that inclusive excellence is not a destination. It's not that we, it's not an outcome. It's not that we reach this place and we are now inclusively excellent for all time to come. But it's more of a stance, it's a posture, it's a lifestyle. It's this willingness to be attentive to the ways in which our practice can be exclusionary or marginalizing, either subconsciously, consciously, semi-consciously. And I, and I, um, 
when I was smiling as you were talking because, you know, you guys are answering all my questions without me having to <laughs> ask them. Um, and I think, you know, it just speaks to all the things that you've raised, this, the, your, your dynamic leadership team, the allyship, all of these things are sort of the unspoken pieces of this work that don't necessarily make the reports uh, and the outcomes, um, but they are critical and that, you know, and if folks are going to practice in these ways, it's important for them to, to have this insight. So I want to be conscious of our time. I know we don't have much left, but we have been sort of closing out these podcasts in a particular way. Or I first ask everyone if they were to, you know, if they were to come into contact with someone who wanted to embark upon this work on their campus, another leader or leadership team, what advice would you give them? I'm sort of thinking a wordle in my head. So (laughs) patience, humility, and just don't stop. Mm. I would say that the anti-racism piece is the key. Uh, you, You know, it's painful, but that's absolutely necessary. Otherwise, they'll always think, you know, I'm good. Just tell me what I need to do. I'm with you. Uh, that's that's never going to solve any problem. Yeah, I, I, I concur. Yeah, I was going to say be brave and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think the vulnerability piece is one of the most important, but it is also one of the hardest. <laughs> so sort of pre- prepare yourself to be vulnerable. Um, I would also say that, that the experience is different depending on what you're background and lived experiences have been sort of right refacing some of your demons from the past uh, is hard so take care of yourself right don't give up but 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 have those you know ha- have a support system in place for when the days are bad um and and keep doing the work um and i guess sort of celebrate the little victories which i think for sure we have done well it's you know we celebrate that little conversation with the students the great conversation you know and a, an email from an alum about you know how excited they are to be able to participate in this work so i think it's important to have those and to celebrate those to be able to have the fuel to deal with the with the dark or hard days <laughs> i would say um it's a community and societal set of issues that we are trying to solve. So don't try and do the work alone. You've mm-hmm. got to build allies continuously um, because you can't do this alone. Awesome. So to close out, if you had to describe your experience of this inclusive excellence work in one word, I, I mean, your wordle may have stolen your thunder a little bit, <laughs> but if you had to describe it in one word, what would that word be? I want to say eye-opening. Transformational. Inspiring. Uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, valuable. I want to convey my appreciation to each of you. I think that this has been an hour well spent in a bright spot in my day. Thank you for sharing your story um, and letting us see a little bit deeper into the awesome work that you're doing there at the University of Houston downtown. So I really do appreciate your time and uh, thank you again for your authentic contributions.